This is Alan Dibb, author of The One-Page Marketing Plan. Get new customers, make more money, and stand out from the crowd. And you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover the smartest ideas behind what's actually working in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in. Just connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. This episode of the Marketing Book Podcast is sponsored by Content Marketing World 2018 in Cleveland this September. I'm going to be there. How about you? Content Marketing World is a wonderful event where you can learn and network with the best and brightest in the content marketing industry, including several authors who have been guests on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm going to be leading the workshop Industrial Manufacturing, Applying Content Marketing Best Practices to the Challenging Audience of Engineers with my friend and past Marketing Book Podcast guest, Rebecca Geyer, author of Smart Marketing for Engineers, an Inbound Marketing Guide to Reaching technical audiences. For details, go to contentmarketingworld.com and for the absolute lowest price when you register, make sure to use the promo code marketingbook and they'll knock $100 off your ticket price. $100. Think about it. That's $100 you can spend buying both of his drinks once you get there and still have money left over. I'll have more details in a few minutes and now on with the show. Today, we welcome Alan Dibb to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, The One-Page Marketing Plan, Get New Customers, Make More Money, and Stand Out from the Crowd. Alan Dibb is a serial entrepreneur, rebellious marketer, and technology expert. He has started, grown multiple businesses in various industries, including IT, telecommunications, and marketing. One of his previous businesses was in the telecommunications industry where he faced heated competition from multi-billion dollar multinational competitors. Alan grew his business from startup to four years later being named by Business Review Weekly as one of Australia's fastest growing companies, earning a spot in the coveted BRW Fast 100 list and interesting fact. As a kid, he was a big fan of the TV show, The A-Team. Alan, <laughs> congratulations on the one-page marketing plan and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. Pleasure to be on the show. So, Alan, be honest. Do you love it when a plan comes together? I do love it when a plan comes together, indeed. <laughs> so, that's a reference to The A-Team for all you folks that are not familiar with it. So, Alan, tell us the story of how this book came to be. And if you could, make sure to touch on all the, the marketing planning you once did. Yeah, so uh, how this book came to be is uh, my latest business is, uh, of course, in business coaching. And one of the things that I tried to, to get my clients to do is to create a marketing plan. Uh, seems pretty logical, but it's 
one of those things that I just could not get clients to do is because they perceived that it was too difficult, too expensive, too long and all of that sort of stuff. So, and for the most part, they were right. So when I first started my, one of my first business, I mean, I, I wasn't very smart, but one of the smart things that I did do was hire someone to help me put together a business plan. And that business plan was beautiful. It had graphs and charts and projections and all sorts of things. It was probably over 100 pages long in the end. And then after the marketing planning process and the business planning process was done, uh, I took that big long plan, shoved it in the top drawer of my desk and never saw it again till we were moving out of that office and and I tossed it in the trash. That's too bad because it could have (laughs) caught more dust on the shelf. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. So um, that was my experience in creating a business plan and a marketing plan. And and then when I became a business coach, I I was trying to get my clients to do the same thing. And naturally, they were having their own difficulties doing it. So I created out of necessity a process called the one-page marketing plan, which as it sounds is a marketing plan that you can generate in a single page that you can knock out in about 30 minutes. And that covers the real essentials of taking someone from a prospect who doesn't even know you to someone who's a raving fan and refers you on a regular basis. Mm. So let's talk real briefly about what I think is the most ingenious part of the book, which is those essentials. So in other words, it it is overwhelming. And I think that's why so many companies skip over the marketing plan because they don't know what to do or they don't know what's important or Mm. they don't understand strategy versus tactics. and, And you've really offered so much Clarity. This is this is uh, this book which I absolutely loved. You separate the signal from the noise here, and I wanted to ask you if you could briefly walk through the different parts of the plan. It's one page, and what I want the listener to envision is nine squares on a vertical page. So, in other words, there's three, and then the second row there's three, and then the th- they're down below there's there's three more, and as Those three sections, they represent what you call before, during, and after. Again, (laughs) it's almost too simple, folks. Before, (laughs) during, and after. So the first three on the top row are the before, and then the three in the middle are during, and then after. And if you could just uh, walk the listener briefly through what those nine blocks are, and then we've got, I've got so many questions, we're not even going to be able to get to them all, but I think there's some really great things that I want to... I think there's some great, there could be some great things for the listener here. Awesome, awesome. So yeah, as you say, I, I've divided the one-page marketing plan into nine separate sections. So it's a one-page canvas, and we're separated into three blocks of three. And there's the before the phase, the during phase, and the after phase. And in the before phase, someone doesn't even know who you are. In the second phase, they don't necessarily trust you or, or know know about you. And in the third phase, that's when they become a client and that's when you're delivering your service and you're trying to, to do your after-sales service and you're uh, getting referrals. So I'll break it down into the actual nine steps. So you've got selecting a target market is the first step. The second one is crafting your message. The third is reaching your prospects with advertising media. Then we go into the during phase. And in the during phase, it's capturing leads, it's nurturing leads, and it's sales conversion. And then we move into the after phase, and that's delivering a world-class experience, increasing customer lifetime value, and then orchestrating and stimulating referrals. So that that's a very, very broad brush of the nine steps and how they're set up on the one-page marketing plan canvas. 
Yes, but it all fits in those nine. That's what I thought was so ingenious. And my, you know, I'm I'm, I'm in the agency business. We work with clients, and I, I get excited when I uh, I stumble across a book where I know I'm going to be able to help a customer with their business. And this seemed like such a great, amongst other things, it's a great CEO book <laughs> because I think a lot of CEOs they just want to know those nine blocks. Okay, great. <laughs> you know what? That, it's almost like I, I get it. I, I see what's there. But the fact that you put emphasis on these specific nine things are what was kind of warmed the cockles of my heart. But let's go back to the bigger issue of marketing. And I'd like you to explain what you mean when you say that by far the biggest leverage point in any business is marketing. Yes. Yeah, so. What I mean by that is there's any number of things that a business owner can get better at. So you can get 10% better at negotiation. You can get 10% better at the technical thing that you do. You can get 10% better at product development, all of those things. And they will give you an incremental boost. So you'll, you know, you'll, you'll add 10%. Uh, but if you get 10% better at marketing, that's a leverage point that can give you exponential increases. So that's what I mean that that's a leverage point. It's something that can give you massive, massive increases compared to the, the inputs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, like if you were to get 10% more traffic to your site, or you were to have a 10% improvement in the conversions or, or you know the, the lead generation, or even in your sales process, in, in increase those ten percent. It it really is exponential. But let's let's go back and talk about the M word, which is marketing. You mentioned that it in in and of itself, it's kind of a vague term that's poorly understood, even by you know marketing professionals and, and other experts. So could you share with us your explanation of what marketing is? And how it relates to other things that are often maybe confused with marketing strategy, but which are actually tactics. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, when when you ask someone what the definition of marketing is, it, you, you get all sorts of things. So you get things that, you know, you, you Google it and it's, it talks about that people talk about brand and people talk about advertising and promotion and publicity and all of that sort of thing. And that's all fine. That That's part of it. But really, when it comes down to it, I mean, marketing is essentially the strategy that you use to get your ideal target market to know you, to like you, and trust you enough to become a customer. So that's really it in a nutshell. So now there's a lot more to it. Obviously, there's there's a lot of tactics that plug into that, and there's a lot more that goes goes on behind the scenes. But it's essentially how do you get your ideal market to know you, like you, and trust you enough to become a paying customer? Mm-hmm. And Alan Dib, what do you say to the person who is, maybe they say it, but a lot of them are thinking it, I have a really great product or service. Do, you know, do I really need to market my business? <laughs> I say that's fantastic. You've got a fantastic customer retention strategy. So that's, that's excellent. So, and that's important, right? So, because if you're selling something that's bad for the customer or a low quality product, you're not going to have customers that are going to stick with you. And more importantly, you're not going to have anyone who's going to refer you. So it's a great customer retention strategy. Now, before we think about customer retention, we really need to think about customer acquisition. And that's really another word for marketing. So marketing is your customer acquisition strategy. And it's interesting, a mentor a long time ago uh, said to me, 
because I, in fact, I had that conversation with him. I said, you know, uh, I'm just trying to get better at the product and service that I deliver because, you know, I'll get word of mouth marketing from that and all of that sort of thing. And he said something that absolutely blew my mind. He said, when does someone know how good your product or service is? And I said, well, obviously when, when we deliver it. And he said, well, then before they buy, they only know how good your marketing is. They only know how good your product or service is after you buy. So you need to become a good marketer. So that absolutely blew my mind and changed my my thinking in terms of where marketing fits in, in the business process. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, was one of the biggest takeaways or juicy tidbit that I'm, I'm going to be stealing, with full attribution, of course, <laughs> is this fallacy of the commonly held belief that it's all about the product. So if you just have yeah. a better product or service, people automatically be more likely to buy from you and, <laughs> and pay for it. But the fact is, they're not going to know that until after after you buy. So I just see that with so, so many companies. So Alan, you and I both here, or at least in our careers, have heard companies say, as it relates to marketing, let's say they want to, they want to market their business. I just want to get, we just need to get our name out there, wherever there is specifically. (laughs) Explain, explain why that is such a misguided notion and why it makes people like you and me cringe. (laughs) <laughs> it's funny. Um, so a lot of people, uh, where and where it comes from, it's interesting, uh, at least in my experience, people look at, you know, one of the large competitors in their industry. So, uh, so someone who's doing really, really well in their industry, and they think they look at what they're doing in their marketing and their advertising, and they think, you know, we really should do some of that because, you know, that that's what our large competitor is doing. And that's what the successful person in the industry is doing. And the the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that strategy changes dramatically with scale. So I'll give you an example. So if I'm a property investor and I'm a small time property investor, I just build one house uh, at a time and then sell it off. That's a going. I'm going to use a very, very different property investment strategy than someone who's building skyscrapers in New York, right? So mm-hmm. I can't just build two, three stories of a skyscraper and have a success. You need to build a whole hundred stories. So, <laughs> so, um, so strategy changes with scale. And what a lot of people don't understand, especially small business owners, is that large companies have a very different agenda when it comes to their marketing. So, you know, a lot of their agenda is pleasing a board of directors, appeasing shareholders, making sure that their superiors' biases are, are held up, winning advertising and creative awards. And then somewhere down there is making a profit. Whereas if you talk to a business owner, the purpose and priorities in their marketing, it's all about making a profit. So so there's two things. There's, there's scale that's different. So the large companies have years and millions of dollars to get a result, whereas small companies need a result tomorrow. And the second thing is they both have different agendas. So understanding that is absolutely critical. So if you're trying just kind of the brand building stuff and the get your name out there stuff and you're a small business owner, you're not going to have enough firepower to see that through. You need a long time and you need a lot of money to make that work. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't work. Of course, it does work for, for large companies who've got a lot of money and a lot of time. But for small business owners, it's very much about direct response marketing and getting a result and ROI pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Alan, I'd like you to explain yet another pearl from the book, which is the, the attitude towards marketing and the notion of businesses that are visiting a slot machine in a casino versus those that 
treat their marketing more like a vending machine. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's when I um, heard from Dean Jackson and I really loved it. So a lot, a lot of businesses think, hey, uh, let's roll the dice here and, and put a whole bunch of money into marketing here and see what happens. And that's kind of like <laughs> visit, <laughs> uh, visiting a slot machine in a casino. You know, sometimes you'll get a good return, but most of the time the house takes the, the money. So Yeah, I'm laughing to keep from crying. <laughs> so the kind of marketing that we want to do, uh, we want to do direct response marketing where we know we've, we've done some testing, we know what works, and we know that for every dollar that we put in, we're going to get a dollar fifty out or we're going to get $2 out or whatever. So the results aren't random. They're predictable and we, we're going to win every time. So that's, that's the difference. Yeah, we're working, I'm working on a slide already <laughs> to help to pe- people understand that because they'll say, oh, marketing's expensive and Another guest that's on the been on the podcast, David Newman, he says, yeah, it is expensive if you do it wrong. Yes, indeed, indeed. But to, I guess, maybe go at counter purposes to what you said earlier about the bigger companies, why do you think the bigger companies, the more successful ones, actually focus more on marketing and, and, and spend more on it? Well, I would think uh, it's probably working for them. Yes, so, yes, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. So there were two questions that you said you really need to answer as it relates to your message, and, and that's a kind of a broad term, your message, why, why should someone buy and, and why should they buy from you? Those seem so simple, but can you explain uh, why they're so hard for companies to, to address? Or, or is it a fear of not wanting to answer them? Yeah, look, I think often people are so product-centric, and I see that so often with my clients, especially clients that I'm just starting out with, they start telling me about how awesome their product is, how the features and benefits and all the widgets and things that, that work and the, the quality compared to their competitors and all of that sort of thing. And that's all great. The, the, these are important things. But answering these two questions, why should they buy and why should they buy from me? Now, the first question seems really weird. Why, why should they buy? Now, uh, understand that you're not necessarily even competing with who you think your competitor is you're competing with apathy and you're competing with a lot a lot of the time with someone either not doing anything or them doing it themselves mm-hmm. so so having a good story around why it makes sense to buy from you is very very important uh, the second thing is why should they buy from me why should someone cross the road and come over to my side of the road and do business with me rather than dealing with someone who's possibly closer or more conveniently located or that sort of thing. So having a good story around why you're unique. Now, uh, I talk about in the book, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. So really, I mean, the the chances of you or I or anyone even uh, listening on this podcast to come up with something that's truly mind-blowingly unique is highly unlikely. So uh, most things that anyone's going to use or buy have been invented in one form or another. But what I talk about is is there a different way that you can price it? Is there a different way that you can package it? Is there a different way that you can uh, offer it to not the typical uh, client or not the typical market? So just having a different way of packaging or pricing or presenting your product can make it make a huge difference. And I sometimes give the example like um, – there was um, a while ago, the Dollar Shave Club came out. Now, they were just selling cheap razor blades, right? But they started selling it as a subscription, which was at the time something that was quite unique. So, uh, and that's exactly the same. Can you turn your non-subscription product into a subscription product? Can you package it or price it differently? Can you present it in a different form? And that's what I talk about 
creating something that's slightly unique and creating something where you can easily answer the question, why should they buy from me? Mm-hmm. And I'm actually a member of the Dollar Shave Club. It's one of the few clubs that I've actually gained admission to. <laughs> so another example was a restaurant that simply picks their customers up and, and drops them off afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was something that... that caught me off guard i just went to the men's bathroom i saw a picture uh i saw a sign in there saying hey you know we'll we'll pick you up um if you're somewhere in the local area i thought how brilliant is that you know <laughs> <laughs> that is great that is great we're going to take a break here so i can talk about one of my favorite things single malt scotch as i mentioned at the top of the show this episode of the marketing book podcast is sponsored by content marketing world 2018 i'm going back this september to cleveland for this awesome conference and i'm looking forward to meeting more of you just like i did last year that was so much fun i'm going to be doing a workshop with my friend and past marketing book podcast guest rebecca geyer author of smart marketing for engineers an inbound marketing guide to reaching technical audiences the workshop is industrial manufacturing applying content marketing best practices to the challenging audience of engineers. If you're a manufacturing marketer and are able to attend, I just want to warn you, when this workshop is over, we may end up having to rush you to the emergency room at the Cleveland Clinic because you are going to be at risk of overdosing on so many awesome, practical, actionable marketing insights that are going to grow your manufacturing business and boost your career. To get the absolute lowest price, when you register, make sure to use the promo code MARKETINGBOOK and they'll knock another $100 off your ticket price. That's right. That's $100 you can then spend buying both of us drinks once you get there and still have money left over. But enough about that. Let's talk about scotch. If that rock bottom price to attend Content Marketing World isn't enough incentive, here's one more. When you register using promo code MARKETINGBOOK, there's also a bottle of scotch in it for me from the nice people at Content Marketing World. We're talking win-win here, people. But now let's say you can't attend Content Marketing World and you feel bad about that. Well, you can still send me a bottle of single malt scotch. Seriously. The mailing address is at marketingbookpodcast.com. Do it. But let's say you can't attend Content Marketing World and you're thinking, well, Douglas, I like your podcast, but I'm just not yet ready to send you a bottle of scotch. But I would like to show my appreciation for what you're doing here. I've got you covered too. Here's what you do. First, pour yourself a drink. Have two. And then go to iTunes or Apple Podcast, as they call themselves now, and leave a one-sentence review for the Marketing Book Podcast. And then message me on LinkedIn and tell me which one is yours so I can raise a glass and toast your review and your good taste in podcasts. <laughs> and now, back to the show. So I want to ask you to expand a bit on yet another pearl from the book and explain what you mean when you say that what your customers want is not really what you're selling. Yeah, so there's a distinction that a lot of businesses don't make and it's kind of it kind of comes from the world of market research. You know, in market research, you ask what a customer wants and they tell you. And the problem with that is most of the time they lie. <laughs> so and and they're not lying because they're trying to be malicious or anything like that, but people try and look 
want to look different from what how they feel. And sometimes people don't even know what they want. Right. So, <laughs> so it's very important to give people not only what they want, but also what they need. And I, I give an example. I think I give that example in the book. Like if someone says, I want six pack abs, right? So that's what they want. But what they need may be good nutrition. They need an exercise routine. They need supplements and things like that. So they're not necessarily going to be typing into Google a nutritional plan, right? They're going to be typing six pack abs. So, yeah. so you want to give them what they want, but you also need to give them what they need. Yeah, that was very important. And we find ourselves doing that all the time, too, where, you know, people buy for emotional reasons. And you make that clear uh, and you remind the, the reader that people buy for emotional reasons and they look for rational reasons to back it up. And it's the same with us. And I think anybody who's selling something, there's emotional reasons why people are making the decisions they do. And it's foolhardy to ignore those. But at the same time, you've still got to try and get the results for that customer that they're ultimately going to need. So, you know, like you know, you'll say you're the the, the gym owner, uh, and this person wants six pack abs. Okay, great. You're then going to have to figure out a way to get them to keep coming back to the gym on a regular basis, amongst other things. Yeah, and uh, you know it's interesting. I, I see that a lot where people sell a product and they think, hey, it's up to the client now to implement that, or it's up to the client to use that product. No, I think it's very much your responsibility to make sure the product gets implemented correctly and used correctly and uh, followed through. So your responsibility doesn't end when the client buys the product or buys the service. Your your responsibility ends when the client or um, customer gets the result that they were after. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So another thing I want to ask you about is when you say uh, why should companies address the elephant in the room in their marketing and sales, which is the risks associated with buying from you. I mean, it sounds counterintuitive, but it's enormously persuasive. It is. Look, when you enter the conversation going on in the mind of the customer or prospect, it's incredibly powerful. And when someone's reading your ad and they just see all the positives and, you know, it does this and it does that and we'll help you with this and and that – they're naturally going to have some doubts. They're going to think, okay, but what about this? When What about that? And how does that work? And is that better than this or is that better than that? So, And a lot of marketers just avoid the elephant in the room. They uh, avoid broaching the, pro- uh, the, uh, this, that topic and you know, saying, look, it's, it's actually not good for this kind of target market or it's not – this product won't work for you if – one, two, three, right? So this is kind of suspicious looking. When someone only presents positives, you automatically start thinking, okay, well, what about the negatives? But if you if you address the elephant in the room and if you say, you know what, our product is for this target market. If you meet criteria one, two, three, then this is perfect for you. But if you meet this, that, or the other, then probably this is not the right product for you. That's incredibly powerful because it addresses the elephant in the room and it's incredibly persuasive and powerful because you're now feeling like you've addressed something in a very even-handed manner. Yes, and I've seen that in sales when I'm talking to a prospect and we need to ask them a lot of questions. We need to do a bit of diagnosis. A lot of businesses Mm. are that way. And we say, look, we're actually not a fit for every company. We've we got to figure that out yeah. first before we talk to you. I see their body language change like, oh, what a relief. 
you know, <laughs> they were able yeah, to, yeah. It, it actually goes quicker. And, and if we're not a fit for them, you know, no is my second favorite word. The, the quicker you can get to that, the, the better off it is for the, both parties. And they might even be armed with information on what they should be looking for, even if it's not us. Yeah, because, I mean, if it's a fit, it's not going to be good for the client. But importantly, it's also not going to be a fit. It's not going to be good for you. So you're going to have a terrible time trying to implement or trying to give them the result that they want. And there's going to be frustration on both parts. Yeah, I got that idea from one of John Jantz's book. He's been on the podcast. He's the author of Duct Tape Marketing and, and several other books. And he talks about how they really don't want to do business with a, a client unless they're sure they're going to end up with a good chance at a referral. <laughs> so that's mm. why you really want to make sure you're going to be able to help somebody because these days the referrals are very important and you certainly talk about that in your book. But Alan Dib, this is the Marketing Book Podcast and I'm required by law to ask at least one question about social media. Now, you, <laughs> there is so much hype that surrounds social media. And, and God bless it, it's good for certain things. But can you put it into perspective for us and help us see where it fits into an overall marketing strategy? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you asked that, Law, because I didn't want to get arrested. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking out for you, brother. And uh, please ask that question or I'm going to have to keep asking social media questions. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So it's funny. Uh, a lot of people think that social media is now – changed everything about marketing and that all the old rules don't apply. And uh, I often have a question and answer going with a lot of people who think that. So uh, I ask them, you know, okay, so do you no longer need to have a target market? Do you no longer need to have an offer that uh, resonates with your target market? Do you no longer have to have good copy? Uh, do you no longer have to have, to have calls to action? And of course, th those things are absolutely critical regardless of the media that you're using, whether you're using print, whether you're using digital or social. And it's funny, a lot of people have, almost make the substitution that digital marketing is almost a replacement for lazy marketing. So <laughs> instead of... Um, they think that suddenly all their problems are going to be solved with digital marketing or social media marketing and all of that. And the thing that they don't understand is social media, and it's kind of given away in the name, is a media. Uh, so a media like any other, of course, it has its nuances, but you're dealing with people. You need to have calls to action. You need to have headlines. You need to have copy. You need to have all the elements of good marketing and good advertising. Uh, we're just doing it in a different setting. So, And a lot of other people think that, it's free. <laughs> and it's free only if your time is worth absolutely nothing. So <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You said that and I was reminded of – you said that in the book – and I was reminded of the line from uh, Jay Bear who says, yeah, social media is free like a puppy is free. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It's, it's great for helping to spread the message and certainly having a conversation – which goes along with the word social. But yeah, it's, um, it also ties in with another concept you have in the book, which is uh, a scientific term <laughs> called bright, shiny object syndrome. And, yes. and you talk quite a bit about that, about how people get sucked into that. I think social media is the, the, the bright, shiny disco ball, and the people get pulled into that. And then people just also want to get pulled into tactics. It's they, they somehow, it's like a, 
a palliative where they <laughs> they they yes. feel better with the tactics instead of having to think about the hard strategy. But let's move on and let me ask you to uh, recap something that I think a lot of companies skip over or or just don't realize they need and how powerful it is, and that is the idea of an offer. And, and you even go on to talk about another part of the book about what you call the ethical bribe. Yep. Yep. So, so often, and exactly as you said, so often people will delve into tactics. Okay, let's, how do we leverage LinkedIn? How do we leverage social? How do we do all of this? And very often you need to back up and say, hang on, do you actually have an offer that converts, right? So, and because once you have an offer that converts, all of the other stuff that we do just becomes so much easier because if someone looks at what you've got to offer and says, hey, that's for me, then fantastic. Now we've got something that we can put a bit of propulsion under. Uh, we can do. We can use social. We can use print. We can use all of the other stuff, and it just becomes easier because if you have to push something out that people don't want, I mean, that's going to take a lot of firepower. That's going to take a lot of time, and that's going to be very, very difficult to do. So you really need to start with an offer that converts something that people actually want. Now, you mean like a product offering or a, a, like a lead generation offer? Uh, both, both. Mm-hmm. So I talk, and, and I do talk about the ethical bribe. So the ethical bribe is basically, it's a way of uh, demonstrating to someone that you can deliver what you promise to deliver. And I kind of liken it to one of the things that if you're a, if you're a musician or something like that, one of your dream comes true is to be able to be on radio and get a lot of radio play. And it's that's basically giving your product away for free. And so exactly the same in the marketing context. How can you give away some of your best stuff for free? And people think that if they give some of their best stuff away for free that they're going to reduce their market or they're going to reduce the amount of revenue that, that they make. And that's very much untrue. So I've found that giving away that your best stuff is the best way to get more traction to get more clients to get more promotion and to get more attention so uh, if you have an ethical bribe something that will really reel someone in and say hey i need that and it helps them and it helps them get a result then they're far far more likely to do business with you in the future Mm -hmm. so let's talk about this other concept of why certain businesses have a constant flow of leads and prospects and why others struggle to get in any. And there's like a continuum. And on one end of it is what you call infrastructure. And on the other are what we call random acts of marketing. Yeah. And I and I see this with clients all the well, sometimes with clients or businesses or friends who own businesses and they want to go do this, they want to go do that. And they are wanting to do what we've kind of talked about already, random acts of marketing. It's, you know, it's the typical person I once heard at a Chamber of Commerce talk who said, I ran an ad once. It didn't work. (laughs) I didn't get any business from it. Advertising doesn't work. So if you could explain the concept of infrastructure versus random acts of marketing, because we were building, we're we're in the process of building for a new client, all this, you know, sort of marketing infrastructure. And occasionally they'll come back and go, ooh, let's do something on Snapchat or, you know, this or this or that. And it's like, well, wait, you know, we're building the foundation and you're talking about the shutters of the second floor uh, windows. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and I like to use this example. So if you're going to build a house, and, and right now I'm in the process of, of building a house, so I know the process well, oh. what, what you do is 
you hire your architect, you, you, you say, okay, I'm going to put the lounge room here, I'm going to put the pool here, I'm going to put the patio out here and all of that sort of thing. And then you get permission from the council to, to build it and all of that sort of stuff. And then only after all of that planning is done, then you start actually building the house. Because a lot of people, uh, if, I, if I just started digging where the pool's going to go or laying bricks or whatever, it's going to end up in a disaster. It's not going to be legal. It's going to probably fall down and kill me. So exactly the same with, with marketing. We want to start building the blueprint. We want to start building the foundation. We want to say, okay, this is the target market that we're going to go after. We're going to have this offer. We're going to go to them with this message. And then that's when the tactics plug in. That's when we decide, okay, we're, t- we're targeting young teenagers. So Snapchat is going to be a great platform to deal with them on that. So so understanding that process that you really need to build the infrastructure first and then you plug the tactics in. So, And businesses that build a marketing infrastructure, yes, it's difficult to do in the beginning. Yes, it costs a bit of money to do. But once you've done it, it's just maintenance. So uh, once you've got your marketing infrastructure, you've got your lead generation, you've got your nurturing strategy, you've got your conversion strategy, then Plugging in all of the tactics and executing is going to be much, much easier. Otherwise, you're exactly as you say, it's going to be the bright, shiny object syndrome. One day, LinkedIn's really hot. The next day, Snapchat. The next, uh, the next day, digital something or other. So, uh, so, uh, and that's where a lot of people go wrong. They just focus on the latest trend that's going on. The the guy who's selling SEO or the guy who's selling pay per click or or whatever, and they don't know where does it fit in their overall marketing infrastructure. Yes, Jim Stern. Who- who was on the podcast, author of Artificial Intelligence for Marketers, he had this great expression for that. And it's, you know, when, when the boss comes in and says, okay, stop everything we're doing. We're going all in on Snapchat. And he calls it, he calls it management by in-flight magazine. <laughs> they don't have any sense of direction and they just can't seem to you know uh, tie yeah. it back and, yeah. and and they and they often have employees or vendors who are trying to trying to help move them along so yes. i want to ask you to explain something that's I, I you know basic and maybe some of the folks a lot of folks listening but it can't be said enough explain what you mean when you say that you must stop selling and start educating. Yeah, so look, back in the day, you could probably get away with being a high-pressure salesperson. You know, you used all sorts of ridiculous closes and all of that sort of stuff. Always be closing. (laughs) Always be closing, that's right. Get them to sign on the line that is dotted. (laughs) (laughs) I love that scene. I love it, yeah. From Gary Glenn Ross. (laughs) That's it, that's it. So, you know, and... That that time is really over. Uh, I think now is really the time when the person with the most trust is the person who's going to win. So they're the pe- they're the people who are going to get all the traction, and they're the people who are going to win the most. So how can you build the most trust? Education marketing to me is one of the best ways that you can do that because. Almost in any industry, unless you're selling something really bad for the customer or unethical, like if you're selling uh, cigarettes or something like that, then a more educated customer is better. So the more educated that you can make your customer, so educate them to understand why your product is different, educate them to understand why your product is better for them and how it's going to deliver that and give them a taste of the result that they're going to get. So if you become an educator, that 
positions you completely different than a sleazy salesman who's just trying to get their next commission or trying to get their next piece of profit. So understanding that, you know, now you really need to become an influencer and an educator and just position yourself completely differently. I'm going to quote from the book. Consultative advisory selling is the most cost-effective, the most enduring, the most impactful, and the most powerful marketing strategy a business owner could ever devise. Now, Alan, I want to talk about the last third of the book. We don't have a lot of time to talk about that, but the fact that the last third of the book is about delivering a world-class experience, getting your customers to buy more from you and how to generate a machine to get referrals is very significant in and of itself. So in other words, so many people think of marketing as, you know, the sexiness of just getting that new customer as opposed to like hunting the new customer versus farming your existing ones. And there have been some uh, terrific books on the podcast over the years that talk about this. They talk about, you know, who was the bank robber who said that's where the money is? Willie, uh, w- Willie Sutton, yes. Willie said, why do you rob banks? That's where the money is. Yes. And all the, all the authors who've written books about that, it, they have all the data right there. So, you know, it just seems that companies and, and certainly marketers who are trying, maybe it's a first-time marketer at a business, first thing that they should probably be thinking about is, okay, great, before we go out and round up new customers – can we, boss, can we be selling more to our current customers because it's a faster <laughs> sale, it's more profitable, and they, they, look, they look like a, 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 you know, a real hero right off the bat, but instead there's this impulse to want to get folks you know, talking about, oh, we've got to get the new, the new ones in here. One of the last questions I want to ask you about, which you talk about towards the very end of the book, which again just brought a smile to my face, is, Okay, we've talked about all this marketing. We've talked about sales. Let's say you've gone off and given a keynote somewhere and talked about this, and there's some business owner sitting there in the front row with his arms crossed. What, what do you say to that business owner who is mistakenly thinking, you know, that's all great, Alan Dibb, but my, this won't work for my business. Uh, my business is different. My customers are different. They would never <laughs> respond to something like that. Don't you understand, Alan Dibb? <laughs> That's hilarious. Yes, I see that all the time. People say, you know, uh, that that wouldn't work in B2B or oh. that, doesn't, that doesn't work in B2C. <laughs> uh-huh. Or B2G, <laughs> business to government, right. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. So, you know, you need to understand that you're not selling B2B, you're not selling business to business, you're selling to people. And be, people are big bags. Uh, I think um, Scott Adams says uh, moist robots. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, you, you said they're big bags of emotion. So big true. Big bags of emotion, exactly. Yeah. That's right. So whether you're selling B2B or B2G or B2whatever, <laughs> you're dealing with people. And so when you're dealing with people, it's the elements of psychology that are going to come into into it. So people, unless you're dealing with aliens from another planet, then maybe that selling to them is different. But when you're dealing with human beings, you're dealing with people and people respond to the same sort of stuff. They buy emotionally. Uh, they these principles work for everything from selling, you know, carpet cleaning to private jets and things like that. So uh, I've not seen almost any industry where these things don't work. So, and again, because it's very much 
rooted in psychology. It's very much rooted in human behavior. And if you can tap into that, then this stuff will work to you. Of course, there are nuances between industries and nuances between uh, different verticals. But when you're dealing with people, you're dealing with human beings, you're dealing with emotion, and you're dealing with getting them a result. Yes, here, here. And it's funny because sometimes I'll hear uh, companies say, well, but Douglas, you don't understand. Our customers don't go online uh, <laughs> looking for things. <laughs> oh, funny. okay, okay. So, Alan, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Look, the thing I would hope people would take away is just really understanding that it's no longer the best product that's going to be the thing that moves the needle for you. It's being the best marketer. So the best marketer wins every time. And it's unfortunate because we would love to be egalitarian and say, you know what, the best product should get most of the revenue. The second best product should get the second most revenue. But we, we find that that's not the case. And the, the graveyards are just full of great products and great businesses that unfortunately failed due to their lack of understanding that it's all about how good you are at marketing. Now, as I mentioned earlier, having a great product or service is super important for customer retention. But before we think about customer retention, we need to think about customer acquisition. So the best marketer wins every time. Mm, well said. And if you don't mind, I've just got a quote because I've got a quote from the book because already today I was quoting this to one of my colleagues here. It, that tingling means it's working, Alan Dib. <laughs> the graveyards of failed businesses are full of businesses that had excellent products and services. Indeed. For the most part, they failed because those running them didn't pay enough attention to marketing. Remember, no one knows how good your products or services are until after the sale. Before they buy, they only know how good your marketing is. Put simply, the best marketer wins every time. Alan, what books have inspired your work and career? Look, I was very inspired, certainly in the early days, by Michael Gerber's E-Myth. Uh, I've implemented a lot of his kind of thought process and strategies in my various businesses. And you included it in this book, too. It was great. I did? Yeah. I did. Yeah, so I another, did. I'm another E-Myth fan, so uh, I saw that in there, and it was just, it, it had me raving. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's all good. That's all good. I've certainly been inspired by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. I loved his books, The Tipping Point, Outliers, What the Dog Saw, really getting past, I guess, the superficial and understanding psychology. From a writing perspective, I loved Stephen King's On Writing, The Memoir of the Craft, and of course, William Strunk, The Elements of Style. Those were things that were important books to me in my uh, development. So, yeah. Well, those are great ones. Those are great ones. And your your book, I don't mean to make you blush, but this really is very, very well written. And I it was it was really a, a joy to read. Thank you so much. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or heard about or looking forward to reading? Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to reading. I've got I've got sitting waiting on my uh, Kindle, The Twelve Rules for Life, um, and uh, Way of the Wolf, The Straight Line Selling by um, Jordan Belford. So, of Wal uh, Wolf of Wall Street fame. So there are a couple of books I've got sitting on my Kindle, and I've heard good things about them, and and looking forward to reading them. Oh, terrific! Well, I'm I'm gonna have to look into a couple of those I I was not aware of. We'll make sure to include links to the, all those at your episodes show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. So, Alan, how how best can listeners learn more about you and this book? 
Yeah, so you can grab my book on Amazon, of course. It's the one-page marketing plan or visit me on my website, which is successwise.com. You can join my mailing list, join in the conversation, and of course, uh, get access to my book and resources. Yeah, so we're on your episode show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. We're going to include links to SuccessWise. We're going to include links to the, the book section of, uh, of that site and a link to your Twitter profile, which on Twitter, Alan is A-L-L-A-N-D-I-B. So if you're on Twitter, make sure to uh, send a tweet out to Alan. Thank him for joining us. On Twitter, I'm Marketing Book, if you want to add me to the conversation. And Alan, I'm also going to include a link to your LinkedIn profile. And for the listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to this show on your podcast player of choice, like Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music, all these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes link. If you're driving, please put your phone down. So, Alan, I just want to close with one more quote. Your book is just, it's, it's too damn quotable. I'm sorry. <laughs> Throughout this book, you've been the recipient of some extremely valuable information. It's information that most of your competitors will never know or seek out. That puts you at a huge advantage. If you take action, I urge you to take action. As mentioned at the beginning of this book, knowing and not doing is the same as not knowing. If you continue to do what you've always done, you'll continue to get the same results you've always gotten. The name of the book is The One-Page Marketing Plan. Get new customers, make more money, and stand out from the crowd. The author is Alan Dibb. Alan, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, it was a pleasure. And that closes the book on episode 186 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Content Marketing World 2018. To support the Marketing Book Podcast, get details, and the absolute lowest price on attending, go to contentmarketingworld.com and use the promo code MARKETINGBOOK when registering. There's also a link to Content Marketing World at marketingbookpodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Melissa Agnes to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her book, Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.